All right, everybody. It's nice to see the crowd. Take your seats so we know where there's room left. Okay. Our psalm of the week is number 32. It's one of the penitential psalms. It is a psalm which very likely was associated with Nathan's ministry to David after his adultery with Bathsheba and his attempts to cover that up. So when you can think of the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me, my bones wasted away. When we pray that, you can think about that. Our verse is an antiphon, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Before and after the psalm. And the hymn is 617, a great Luther catechism hymn on the sacrament of the altar. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. Which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Before praying the psalm prayer, in Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And you recognize this from the liturgy of setting three. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Verse 6 rests upon the foundation of verse 5. So to be godly is to confess your transgressions to the Lord. That is what it is to be godly, to confess your transgressions of the Lord, and he forgives the iniquity of your sin. Susan? I don't get the second half of Okay, uh, so therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. T today is the acceptable time. Now is the time of salvation. Confess your sins. Surely in a rush of great waters they shall not reach him. The rush of waters, just think of the rush of waters, think of the flood, think of the uh, Red Sea crashing down upon the Egyptians. So the waters of judgment where you drown and die and perish shall not reach him who is godly through contrition and repentance, confession and absolution. We are godly. So then, seven, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from the trouble of my own sins and the judgment of the law and the accusations of the devil. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Be not like the horse or mule. That's a warning against obstinate, prideful, impenitence, you know, arrogant, boasting, unbelief. I will not confess my sins. Well, then you will die in your sins. You will drown. See? Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Because, I don't, as I'm reading it, I'm reading that he's talking to God, and then who is instructing him? Yeah, that is the Lord. The, the, the Lord is talking to Yeah, God. I will God. instruct you. Yep, that's right, but that's right. Like, he's praying to God and everything before and after. And that yeah, parts of and, and of course, you know, David is also then becomes, I mean, how can this sinner become the voice of the Lord? Right. But he is also instructing us in the way we should go. Not in the way that he had gone, but which the Lord delivered him from. Yeah. Which goes with, which goes with uh, Psalm 51. Yeah, Psalm 51 is a... Yeah, uh, so create me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. I noticed that and that too. And I said, when you're reading it, you're reading it as a prayer. 
and all of a sudden God's talking to you right. in the midst of the prayer. That's right. And it's, and it's, so, you got it. So I, right, but it's, <laughs> you weren't sure. You wanted to be. So, like I said, I, kind of what I was thinking along the lines I was thinking, I'm just kind of confirming it. But yep. Like, no, that's good. Over and over again. All right, let us pray. Almighty everlasting God, for our many sins, we justly deserve eternal condemnation. In your mercy, you sent your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who won for us forgiveness of sins and everlasting salvation. Grant us a true confession that dead to sin, we may be raised up by your life-giving absolution. Grant us your Holy Spirit that we may be ever watchful and live true and godly lives in your service. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is the sacrament of the altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, under the bread and wine, instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. Where is this written? The holy evangelists Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul write, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, by your words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, You teach us to believe that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given us through these words. We give thanks to you for the precious gift of your body and blood. Forgive us for taking this gift for granted, for doubting your promises, and for trusting in our own merits as we approach the altar. Give us firm faith in your words that we might know with certainty that where there is forgiveness of sins in your body and blood, that there is also life and salvation for us and for all who believe in your promises. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, into your hands we commend the sick of our congregation for whom we have been praying. Bring healing and renewed strength according to your will. And comfort the families and friends of those who have lost loved ones in death, especially the family of Paul Nauman and Alan Gable. Give them the sure and certain confidence in the resurrection of the body and a blessed reunion for all of those who have died in the faith. All this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord who has taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hymn 617. O Lord, we praise Thee, bless Thee, and adore Thee, in thanksgiving bow before Thee. Thou with Thy body and Thy blood didst nourish our weak souls that they may flourish. O Lord, have mercy. May thy body, Lord, born of Mary, that our sins and sorrows did carry, and thy blood for us plead in all trial, fear, and need. O Lord, have mercy. Thy holy body into death was given, life to win for us in heaven. No greater law than this to thee could bind us, may this feast thereof remind us. O Lord, have mercy. Lord, thy kindness did so constrain thee that thy blood should bless and sustain me. All our debt thou hast paid, peace with God once more is made. O Lord, have mercy. May God bestow on us his grace and favor that we follow Christ our Savior and live together here in love and union nor despise this blessed communion. O Lord, have mercy. Let not thy good spirit forsake us. Grant that heavenly-minded he make us. Give thy church, Lord, to see days of peace and unity. O Lord, have mercy. All right, uh, the, um, uh, the prayer that I used before is from the Catechism Prayer Book, which you can pilfer if there are any left. These are the Catechism prayers that from time to time have appeared in the Congregation at Prayer corresponding to the Catechism for the week. Um, under the Sacrament of the Altar, there is... Let's see, there are six prayers here. Prayer before receiving the Lord's Supper, thanksgiving for the sacrament, the one I used this morning for faith in Jesus' words in the Lord's Supper. Another prayer before receiving the Lord's Supper, so there's two in there. 
for worthy reception of the sacrament of the altar, and then a second prayer, thanksgiving, after receiving the Lord's Supper. So those are there for you. There's also a whole series of prayers on the table of duties, Christian vocation, and every petition of the Lord's Prayer, baptism, confession, and the keys, several on each of the three articles of the Creed, and two on each of the Ten Commandments. So, there you have it. All right, Mark chapter 9. Forty-seven. Oh, we okay. Good. A couple of weeks ago there were thirty-eight, and now there's forty-seven. So. All right. We are at verse fourteen. We just had the transfiguration of our Lord, where the glory of the eternal Son of God shines through His human nature, and. The glory of the Lord that had accompanied the children of Israel, the glory cloud, which was Yahweh's saving presence above the mercy seat of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the glory cloud that led them through their pilgrimage, you see that glory manifest in Jesus, and we are intended to see those connections. He concluded that discussion on the transfiguration by talking about the ministry of John the Baptist, preparing it to Elijah, who was one of the ones that appeared with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And John was like Elijah, preparing the way for the Lord's coming. Elijah's name means Yahweh is God, the Lord is God. So now we pick it up at verse 14. When he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. The scribes were the theologians who copied the scriptures. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. It's like, wow, we didn't expect to see you. I had Joshua Niamuaro from Kenya with me, whatever, whatever the year was where the whole Foxconn thing was, you know, coming and then Trump came and, and there was some sort of dedicatory thing. And the freeway, I was taking him back to the airport and the freeway was all blocked up because of the presidential visit. So we got off, and I'm on, I forget which road, but I'm south of Milwaukee, and came to a stoplight, and there we had to stop. And then there were police not letting anybody go anywhere, and here comes the motorcade. <laughs> around right at us and then turns on the street so we I said hey a lot of Americans you know wish they uh, could see this and they've never seen this and now here you came from Kenya and the presidential motorcade 
drove by. Well, uh, this uh, rabbi from Nazareth is a little more important than that. <laughs> and he asked the scribes. So Jesus puts this question to the scribes. What are you discussing with them? Then one from the multitude answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. So the scribes do not answer uh, Jesus' question. One from the multitude whose son is mute and afflicted steps forward. You know, it's like it's, it's like the presidential press conference, right? Everybody shouts until one shout gets through. So this, uh, this father came forward. Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever he seizes him, he throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. What does that description sound like? I mean, this really happened to this boy, but when you... Well, it, it, it looks like epilepsy, but I'm, I'm looking more about what does it actually look like. Yeah, I'm, I'm being intentionally vague, Melinda. <laughs> you are not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> the demonic afflictions that manifest themselves in the Gospels in the New Testament are, should not be looked at from a distance. So we stand back from them and we say, oh man, that's that's a rough thing. Certainly glad that, um, that I don't uh, have any experience with that. But the reality is that man is not only like a description of the scribes, but of what sin and the bondage to sin and the influence of Satan brings forth in our own lives. You don't have to raise your hand or give your personal testimony. However, have you ever been surprised and somewhat horrified at the things that foam out of your mouth? <laughs> or your reaction to things, or the way in which perhaps you have at times in your life become completely and utterly unglued in vitriolic reaction to circumstances of life, to things that others have done, and so forth. The devil's temptations, which are always, as I like to emphasize, a temptation not to trust God, means that with those he is tempting us to take matters into our own hands in the problems of life. 
in the struggles of life and to step out of the calling to live by faith in the Lord and rely upon ourselves, which, you know, often results in certain things. I'm not going to stand for this. It's interesting, isn't it, that when there is a personal affront to us, we can react violently. If the doctrine of the gospel or the teachings of God's word are attacked with false teaching, we don't, we don't tend to react anywhere near as viscerally to those. So let the hearer understand, you know, when we react so viscerally to personal attacks upon us, then we see the temptation of who, who our God is, who we trust in. And that's what the devil wants. The devil as an He's like an imploded egomaniac, right? He's like the, the spiritual black hole of angels, right? Because there is no grace, there is no love in Satan. He is completely curbed in upon himself, which is why he hates everything that is good, everything that is ordered, everything that comes from God, every act of mercy, every act of compassion. So what happened to this demon-possessed boy is absolutely a manifestation of demonic affliction. However, we are not far from having Satan influence us in the same way. So there is a battle within the Christian we were talking about this on Tuesday in catech or yesterday actually because I had to move my classes to Wednesday with the fifth grade catechumens. Um, it was a fun discussion about you know the the Greek word psyche, which is often translated soul, and then Jesus says in the garden to the disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We tend toward just saying soul and spirit, well, it's just a different word that means the same thing. I, I don't believe so. Words mean something. The psyche, that particular Greek word, the soul, is what we are all created with, so that everybody has a soul, even even the rank unbeliever has a soul. And the soul interfaces with and animates the body. But when St. Paul, for example, would say, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, he's talking about the new man, the spirit. Uh, in other words, what the Holy Spirit has created in the Christian, which is different than his soul. When our Lord was incarnate, 
the Athanasian Creed, oh, let me uh, ha have you look at it. Since you've got your hymnal, I might as well have you look at it, right? Uh, this is uh, page 320, the end of the Athanasian Creed. So I'll, I'll, I'll take you into some of the meaning of the passion here in a second, but uh, paragraph 28, well, uh, 27, it is also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation, the enfleshment of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time both God and man. And then the, the Athanasian Creed carefully defines what it is to be man, human. He is God, there's his divine nature, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages. So in the small catechism we say, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity. And he is man from the substance of his mother in this age, the Virgin Mary. Then look at verse 30, perfect God and perfect man. Perfect man composed of a rational soul and human flesh. I think um, Christians think of the incarnation incorrectly when they think that it is the person of the Son of God and then the carcass of the body of Jesus of Nazareth. You, 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 you get... You, you, do you follow what I... That he's not fully human? Yes. So to be, to be a man means that you have body and soul. That's, that's what the Athanasian Creed is saying here. So when Jesus, for example, when he died, it says he gave up the spirit. I think most Christians think of that as his soul. Uh-uh. It is the Holy Spirit okay, whom uh, he is giving up there. Okay. Uh, with whom he was anointed at his, at his baptism and so forth. Okay, so if you go back to the Athanasian Creed, perfect God and perfect man composed of a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. And I'm going to go down uh, to uh, verse, or paragraph 35. For as the rational soul and flesh is one man. So God and man is one Christ. So there again, to have the rational soul and flesh, the body, is what it is to be human. So now fast forward to where we are in the Gospel of Mark and what we were talking about with the fifth graders. Jesus takes them into the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, Melinda? 
What do we mean by rational soul? Okay, um, the soul that has the ability to reason. Yeah. Now, see, this is where the soul interfaces with the body. Your brain is not your soul, but your soul interfaces with your brain, as well as with the rest of your organs and so forth. So a person gets dementia. Their soul is not suddenly irrational. Their brain is. And their soul is trapped within a body that is dysfunctional because of the corruption of sin and its manifestation with heart disease or any of these other things. It's why, um, it's why we spend time still proclaiming the word, forgiving sin, speaking to those who are in hospice or comatose as if they can hear because the more the process of death occurs, the more the soul is kind of, if you will, disconnecting from the body. So right now, when we are, when we're, uh, when we're a farther distance from death, the only way I can reach you is through your earballs and your eyes, your senses that way. But the closer we get to death, uh, the, the more I certainly believe that you can, you can speak to the soul. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, I mean, I sort of see this. Those who have dementia are much better off in my Bible classes. Not than those who don't have dementia. That's not what I mean. But, but it's there where there's clarity of, of thought. I see this over and over again. I mean, one of our brothers at the divine service yesterday afternoon, who's afflicted in this way, not in the catechesis. When I was in the catechesis, he's answering the questions as if everything is clear. Okay? All right, so with the, back to the fifth graders then. Um, Jesus took all of the disciples to the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane. And then he takes Peter and then the two sons of Jeb- Zebedee, James and John, in with him. More, more. So there, the, there's like the other disciples are a further distance away, and then the inner circle is there with him, at least observing for a time some of his prayers. And he says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And what happens? He comes, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He goes out and he finds him asleep. What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray? No. (laughs) That's the answer to the question. And he goes away again and again, three times. And then what does he say when he comes back? He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What is he referring to by the spirit? He's not referring to the soul. The soul is willing, but the flesh is weak. Rather, he is referring to the new man. 
the new nature, which is a creation of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit creates the new nature, referred to there as the Spirit. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay? And um, so, so um, the corruption of our nature is a corruption that permeates both body and soul. And um, that's why we can't quite grasp what the resurrection to incorruptibility and immortality will be like. Okay. Okay. All right. So, yes, Susan. Mm-hmm. No. The question was, did Jesus have a soul before he was incarnate? And the answer is no. Okay, and that's, that's the point. Because his nature, he is fully God, so there's nothing missing from him prior to the incarnation. He is the eternal Son, begotten of the Father, of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. No, the soul is something associated with what it is to be human. Body and soul. Okay? So, uh, just as your, your soul... It's not just that you are a biological organism at your conception. Okay? The miracle of life includes the creation of the human soul. At conception. Yes, Anne. Well, I, 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 that's that's um, that I don't, I don't find that in the scriptures. Okay, only only man has a rational soul. Mm-hmm. Petrina. No, no. See, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. The Spirit, when he refers to the Spirit as willing, he's talking about what the Holy Spirit has created in us, the new man. He's not talking about the person's soul. Because I was brought forth in iniquity, body and soul. I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me, body and soul. Okay? So... When St. Paul says, I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing, I mean, the flesh does not exclude the, the souls being uh, corrupted by, by sin. Okay? Now, why go into this um, particular excursus? Because I, I think it's very... Interesting. I think it's very fascinating. I also think it's very important. And well, I just I did. I just said we were te- so we had the same discussion with them, and they ate it up, so to speak. Okay, Bob, were you gonna? I thought you were wanted to say something, or you? No, I'm even? just thinking about an article I just read recently, and it has to do with the dementia. 
etc. And the study was, you know, 30 years ago, they discovered that dementia patients, they thought was completely, had no cognitive, you know, sparks going on anymore. When they would play music, they would actually liven up, they looked up, their eyes got bright, you know. There was no theory at that point, but now that with the modern day testing capabilities and instruments, they actually can monitor that, you know, that it, it actually does trigger synapses in the brain that, you know, marks. Yeah, and. I think you mentioned the soul, and I'm thinking the same type of thing, a dysfunction between soul and. Yeah, I, th I think the music is reaching the soul, which is then yeah. triggering the synapses. Right. Yeah. But it was, it was just very interesting to see how that relates. Yeah. So this is where, you know, what happens to us in terms of illness. We all too frequently make no connection with our spiritual life. And that's an unfortunate thing. So when we're in the hospital, or when, when members are in the hospital, and I visit them, uh, of course, I can't give, I cannot operate on their body, right? That's not my calling. I cannot uh, prescribe medications, chemotherapy or this, that, or the other thing. But I can give them the medicine of immortality, the Lord's body and blood, and I can give them absolution for their sins. Well, what does their cancer have to do with their sin? Well, the reality is all of our maladies have everything to do with sin, one, because if there were no sin, there'd be no disease. But two, it's when we suffer the maladies of life that faith is under siege. And what does faith live from? Not penicillin. Faith lives from the word of absolution, you know, the, the body and blood of Christ. And this, all of these things, I mean, these reinforced to me when I'm 19 years old in the hospital for four weeks, had these surgeries, couldn't walk, lost all this weight, horrible pain, bladder spasms, etc., etc. The most powerful thing was Pastor Miller coming in and I'm vomiting, then I stop and he's at the end of the bed. Confession, absolution, Lord's Supper, confessing the creed, praying the Lord's Prayer. You know, um, even though, so that's what was most comforting. That was what was most powerful. Yeah, one of the prayers in the Lutheran book of prayer, when my, uh, sustain me also in the hour of my death, my eyes can no longer see. Hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you say that again? Sustain me also in the hour of my death, when my eyes can no longer see, my ears no longer hear, my tongue no longer speak, my hands no longer hold, and my feet no longer walk. O blessed Trinity, 
assist me that the evil foe may have no power over me. Yeah, see, do you know the um, origin of that prayer? It's, it's in the treasury of eight. I wish they'd put the, uh, the, the, the uh, biographical or... Um... Oh, okay, yeah. Well, this is... Okay, this is where, I mean, a prayer like that, they understood better than we do today what we need and what's, and what's important. Okay. Um, okay, so with that, we come back to the, this poor boy. So the mute spirit is the demon that makes him mute. So he ties up his tongue like the prayer that Deacon just prayed. And whenever he seizes him, he throws him down, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him, the father who brought the boy, and said, O faithless generation. Faithless generation, unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How, how long shall I bear with you, put up with you? <laughs> Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Now, I've got things to say about verse 19, but I want to ask you about verse 20. Why? So they bring the boy to Jesus, and there's this violent reaction. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the, de- the, the reaction of Satan, the reaction of his demons in the presence of the Son of God the victor over sin and death. The one who has and will defeat them. Now verse 19 again. Faithless generation. What did they not believe? This generation. What does any generation that's a faithless generation, not believe. What did you say, Bonnie? They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's good, that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh, you know, that, that he is the salvation from all of this. From all things. He is the source of forgiveness, victory over sin, death, disease, suffering, misery, hardship. That's what they don't believe. And we see the voices of it all over the place in the Gospels and in our own world today. And with those voices that confess unbelief, you know, if you confess unbelief against the order of creation, what it is to be a man, a woman, what marriage is. What do you turn into? Like this boy convulsing on the 
the ground. Show me these people who are happy. Are the women on The View happy? I mean, seriously. Anytime you reject in unbelief, faithless generation, the same kind of destruction that you see visited upon this poor boy, foaming at the mouth, doesn't that sound like the view? I mean, <laughs> foaming at the mouth, convulsing? That's what it results in. This is where, as Christians, you know, sometimes we're on the defensive when we ought to be on the offensive. I'd rather be a Christian. I don't want that kind of un, a miserable, unfulfilled life that's just nothing but bitterness. You know? So that boy is like the entire unbelieving generation, wicked and perverse. I'm not pointing at you. Cause, yeah. I, <laughs> Uh, I th you did have your uh, hand, didn't you, Mark? Just piggyback on what you were saying, Pastor. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, love, joy, yeah. peace, yeah. patience, self -control. kindness, <laughs> gentleness, right. self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit that flows from the Spirit's holy absolution from Jesus that, that he gives to us. Yeah. And the other thing I was this verses nineteen and twenty, again we see the mark and theme in here in that no one knows who Jesus is except for the demons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah. And they don't want anybody else to know either. All right, so so um, Jesus' word is to the whole unbelieving a generation before him and also before us today. Now he turns to the Father, verse 20. Yes, go ahead. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? It sounds like he's fed up. <laughs> well, all right. It sounds like he's fed up. It is, um, it echoes and is parallel to the reproaches of Good Friday from Jeremiah and Lamentations. What more could have I done for you than I have done for you? And actually, in those reproaches and also here, there is one more thing. You know, when those reproaches that come from the Old Testament prophets, what more could I have done for you than I have done for you, my vineyard? There's an answer to that question, and it's not nothing. There is one more thing. The cross. So what does he do? The, he bears in his body and soul the unbelief, the wickedness of this perverse and adulterous generation. How long shall I do this? How long shall I bear with you? Even unto the death of the cross. So St. Paul, in his great, um, in his great um, K 
canticle in Philippians 2. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form and substance of God, did not grasp after his deity, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Therefore, God the Father highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, Jesus Christus Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So can we say that these questions that he has, they find their answer. Basically, is that they find their answer in the cross, right, and because yes, yes, they come, they find their answer in the cross, which he is going to predict his death. Then the third time in verses thirty through thirty-two, Mark. Which again is the Mark and theme. That's the Mark and theme. No one knows Jesus apart from the cross. Right. No one knows Jesus apart from the cross. Mm -hmm. So he turns. He asked his father. How long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood. Too bad, Jesus says, he's going to have to wait till he reaches the age of accountability where he can make his own, where he can make his own decision. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I offend you? So I guess, uh, I guess, even infants and children are sinners. According to Jesus, I guess they are in the kingdom of Satan, according to Jesus, unless delivered. Okay. So, verse 22, And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Now, I, I remember the story uh, when Kurt Marquardt, who uh, was uh, my one of my dogmatics professors at the seminary, um, he died of ALS, and he was in the ministry to the end. He baptized his grandchild several hours before he died of ALS. That's that's sticking with it to the end. Wish Pope Benedict had decided to do that. But anyway, oh, I, I digress. Anyway, uh, um, so when he was a pastor in Australia, and there's a, there's a lot of, um, well, there's a lot of spiritual darkness all over the globe, but there's spiritual darkness in Australia that you didn't realize, and there was a child that could not be controlled at all. Um, boy. And finally, upon inquiry, they found he had never been baptized. So he was baptized using the Luther rite of baptism with the exorcisms and so forth. And then from that time forward, continued in intensive catechesis so that they didn't sweep the house clean and then have seven demons more wicked than the first come in and afflict him. So, amazing thing, baptism, you know, establishing the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, which is 
noted by this unbelief and rejection of Jesus. So if you can do anything, help us. Jesus said to him, now, if you can believe, it says, all things are possible to he who believes. Um, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So all things are possible to him who believes. I'd like you, that's where the sentence begins actually. All things are possible to him who believes. For faith receives the saving work of Christ. What the Father says bespeaks this dual nature that is a part of the Christian. The old Adam is an unbeliever. The new man the Spirit, created by the Holy Spirit, is a believer. So he confesses this struggle that affects his will as it affects our will. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So the Romans 7 passage of St. Paul's, the good that I would, I do not do. That which I would not is the very thing that I do. O oh, wretched man that I am. He's expressing that conflict within that wars against his will. And each individual Christian experiences that more deeply than those surrounding that Christian observe in them. Did you understand that point? Each Christian experiences more deeply that conflict within himself than those around him witness in him. So take the Apostle Paul, for example. After his conversion, what do we see in the New Testament? We see one of the most uh, prolific, dedicated apostolic servants ministers of the gospel, you know, that you'd ever want to see. Is there a conflict in him between the old nature and the new nature? From our vantage point, it doesn't look like it. But he says that he's a wretched man. Okay? For the good that he would, he doesn't do. That which he would not is the very thing that he does. Or... The spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit, Galatians 5, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I mean, from our standpoint, man, he accomplished a lot. But from his standpoint, he could see the struggle against sin and unbelief. Same is true for us. Please understand this about your brothers and sisters in Christ and grant them a bit of Charity. What, what hymn do we sing? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Do you know that hymn? It's hymn of the day in a couple of weeks. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And the man is crying. 
When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, so you have, a, you have an image of, and you should see this as a sign of, the resurrection from the dead, from the power of Satan and unbelief, from evil and rebellion, to new life, salvation, faith. So the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And the, the New King James adds from the um, some other manuscripts, and fasting. And uh, so there's a question as to, did he just say nothing but prayer, or did he say nothing but prayer and fasting? Remember, fasting is, at the center of fasting is self-denial, denial of any power of my own. So as disciples and future apostles, uh, they must fast from any self-reliance, you see, it went in, the, in the conduct of the ministry, and rely upon the word of God alone and prayer, the voice of faith that claims those things. Okay, so we walk by faith and not by sight, so we're called to give as ministers, you know, what we have been given to give, and nothing more and nothing less. And be devoted to fervent prayer which claims those promises of God's word and entrusts ourselves and those to whom we minister to the Lord. So these kind do not come out with anything but prayer and fasting, the denial of self. So Jesus does not upbraid the disciples, does he? The reality, they didn't have the power on the one hand, on the other hand, they did have the power, but only in Jesus and only in his word. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. All right. That's it for today. So when, when uh, you know, when I'm lying in some vegetative state, you can just play hymns and handles Messiah. That'll be fine. Okay. Yes. Ah, it is the fish fry again tomorrow, so we need our comrades